Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 91. Child, says the flesh golem, Asmodia startles up from her scrap paper, the current pages covered with less interesting and powerful numbers than pages previous, along with new notation she invented that probably doesn't make any actual sense. She didn't have time to check whether it did. Fifteen minutes isn't really much time to think about anything. P4. 3. E2. E1. Most high she says, and hurriedly rises up so she can prostrate herself. She's going to have to give the crown back now. She's been trying not to think about it. Rise. Security. Give her a fox's cunning. Even as it speaks, the husk of the Most High moves to tap the rising Asmodia with an owl's wisdom as well. Kindness? Don't be absurd. Both spells will still wear off. The plan simply calls for Asmodia to remain intelligent and articulate while speaking to the reincarnate, Aspexia Rugatone. Even so, as the crown of the Most High is lifted from Asmodia, she can feel herself diminishing. The awareness of Asmodia shrunk, the force of personality and splendor that drove her vanishing like so much smoke. She does not protest, and perhaps die. Asmodia has somewhat to live for in Galarian now. And... Aspexia Rugaton is once more. She ceased to exist only briefly, saving perhaps some uneasy dreams. Did you, in your own opinion, have a productive hour and 45 minutes? I expect Sivar to be impressed once I have had time to explain to her, Asmodia states. In this, she is confident. She will be very surprised if Sivar's assessment does not back it up. I solved seven problems that Keltham left to us. The seventh was the key to the game of deceiving Dath Ilani as I had thought it would be. And we made some progress on the most urgent issues of that game, with myself wielding that fragment of the law of probability, which I had completed myself as mathematics from Keltham's hints in words. Encouraging, if true, that Asmodia evidently believes it is not of very much weight. She shall see what Savar says of it. And your last fifteen minutes? I suspect I failed at your problem. It is possible I could do something given more time, which I do not expect to receive. Asmodia says it without very much fear. She has made a lot of evident and verifiable progress on what was said to be the more important problem of the two. And she was told she wouldn't be harmed if she showed prudence. Oh? Failed? How so? I tried to think of clever solutions to the posed problem using the law of probability, but everything I thought of that way ended up seeming stupid to me, like something that wouldn't save the three-year-old in the dungeon in reality. In reality, the only solution I can see is just actually follow your instructions. Give me an example of such a clever solution, which you then rejected. I tried to invent a new notation, which I'm not sure makes any sense, for the probability that one event leads to another and leads to another, and leads to another. You'd want to, if you could, keep to the paths of high probability, where, if one thing happens, something else must inevitably follow after that in order to make you easier to steer. But if you disobey your instructions to do that, that makes you harder to steer. 
So it boils down to following your instructions again. It's the job of the adult calling directions to steer you onto more predictable paths, not yours. If the child in the dungeon was more than three years old and could talk with the adult beforehand, or you could talk with the being who has almost no time to talk with you, you could arrange in advance for them to know that you would, if you didn't know what to do next. Pick the path where you thought everything from there would be more predictable to them, if you thought they could see that path at all. But if they don't know you'll do that, you're making their job harder, not easier. A somewhat older child comes to you and says that the important thing is to try to understand why you were given the instructions you were, so that you can obey them more effectively. How do you respond? If the adult thought you'd correctly figure out your pathway from knowing the adult's goal, they'd have just called out the goal to you, not the instructions. Child, do not fear. Security, leave us. The first lesson of hell is to obey. But being instructed, do not fear, sure doesn't make obedience easy. With the splendor still in her, she might have been able to muster the drive for it, but it is gone, and Asmodia is not what she was before. When security, to her own eyes, is gone, Aspexia Rogaton soundproofs the room and then speaks in a voice that trembles slightly. Am I being mocked? Hearing the Grand High Priestess of Asmodeus ask, Am I being mocked? is very high on the list of things one hears just before a death begins that lasts for months. Asmodia, despite her most recent instruction, is too terrified to think, let alone speak. Not by you, child. I won't hurt you. Don't be afraid. Aspexia smashes one hand into the wall beside her. Stone cracks. Her hand does not. Am I being mocked? This is what it takes? This? There was no mathematics in that, whether incomprehensible to me or otherwise. There was no brilliant law she had uncovered. The asexual out of Keltham's tropes is just able to answer anyways, because she is favored of the tropes. Half my life I searched, and that is the answer. The only answer, I now have little doubt after seeing it, that I am ever to receive. Do the tropes think it wise to mock me so? Do they think I cannot find a way to injure them in return? Asmodia does not move, does not speak, but she thinks, wait, did I get it right? Yes, child, spits out Aspexia Rugaton. You answered as rightly as anyone except myself has ever answered. You answered perhaps better, for in all my shrieking specific corrections at others, over and over and over again, I never once managed to articulate in words the principle that if Asmodeus had thought you able to pursue the greater goal from knowing it, he would have told you that goal and not the specific instructions. If any Seventh Circle priest of Asmodeus had answered me so, I would have appointed them my successor upon that very spot, had a First Circle cleric so answered. I would have taken them as apprentice, and now, and now. What you have is not teachable. It is not law. You have it because you are Keltham's asexual, not because you are his student. And you are not loyal to my lord. Do not bother denying it. You could never take my place, even had your soul not already been bought away. You fear hell. Your one wish was oblivion in its stead. So in time I will die, 
and leave instructions to my hapless successor to consult you on all such matters, and never once trust you, and if you do serve faithfully, you will be granted a baton at your life's end as you wished. Rejoice, for you will receive all that you ever wished for. I... I did use law, though, or something like that, I think. To Aspexia, Asmodia's detected thoughts are flickering between presence and absence in a strange way, as if she is with augmented self-discipline quashing some deadly thought over and over again, fast enough that it never manifests at all. Asmodia's visible thoughts include that she might not want to spend her life as the next Most High's advisor, that she'd rather teach and be rewarded as greatly, or rather rewarded more, since the gains to divide would be higher, and that Asmodia does think this ought to be teachable, though you might have to start with mathematical talent far above average for a priest of Asmodeus. It does not take more than an instant for Aspexia Rugaton to master herself. Speak on, she says sounding emotionless in lieu of many possible emotions. Keltham doesn't talk to us constantly using numbers. Maybe if he was speaking in his native tongue, he would. He often complains of how poorly suited Taldane is to thinking. But when he was illustrating the law of probability to us in lectures, and needed an example with numbers for that. He had to reach back days earlier to an event that occurred when he asked Ione for a book. If he was thinking in those terms every minute, he wouldn't have needed to reach that far back. But he is still a Dathilani even when he isn't using numbers. Thinking using the law and the law's numbers reshapes even the thoughts that you just think in words, with no numbers at all. When I talked about the adult telling the child the goal, instead of the instructions, I was thinking, in the back of my mind, about things I'd tried to write to myself in the notation that probably doesn't make sense, about paths of probability from one thing that happens after another. And I was thinking the adult could just tell the child about the last thing in the chain, and not the steps there if the child had, the right version of the thing that describes the steps. I don't think... No, I'm sure I couldn't have answered you that way before I met Keltham, even wearing your crown. I would have invented clever things in words, and tried to see if one of those was what you wanted, not tried to invent clever math, and seen that all the clever math failed. It's easier to see when math is bad. Ah, I suppose I owe the tropes an apology then. I will look about those priests who might otherwise be suitable to take my place, to see if there is a mathematical adept among them. If you can indeed teach them to be my suitable successor, you may have your last reward the day after, as you will, or at the end of your days after a glorious life. The mission is not actually optional, nor would failure at it be tolerated. But these things need not be said aloud while Sivar's strange experiment is in progress. Asmodia bows her head. Acknowledged, she says. All her thoughts are consumed with trying to restrain the continuing fear and have fewer of her thoughts be unreadable shit she did it again needs a distraction. The headband that Project Lawful requested for me. At least plus four wisdom, and anything else that can be found, including splendor. It is very needful to keep Keltham deceived a little longer, and the more of his law we possess, 
the more likely I am to be able to teach wizards. I will hear from Sivar after she's reviewed your performance and come to a decision there. Aspexia Rugaton says coldly. You are dismissed from this place. Go. Asmodia hardly needs telling twice. She goes very, very quickly. Aspexia Rugaton is aware that she has performed suboptimally. It happens to her. More often than ten years ago, she is getting old. She ought to be happy, overjoyed, that there is now more of a prospect of being welcomed into her lord's embrace without that proving utterly catastrophic for her lord's interests. If she'd found Asmodia thirty years earlier, she would have exulted. Now it's like finishing some long-awaited work of revenge on somebody you really, really wanted to torture to death thirty years ago, and while they're finally screaming their last, all you can think about is how much you wish you'd gotten this when you first wanted it, and how much the way you got it wasn't the exact way you spent thirty years dreaming of. There's a knock on the door from outside. Aspexia tears open the door, wondering what fool this may be. Any emergency worth disturbing her is worth a message, not a polite knock on the door. Pilar flinches visibly and almost fumbles the piece of cake she's holding. I'll leave. I didn't realize it was you. My curse. Must think it's being funny. Stay, says Aspexia Rugaton, and exhales a long breath. The tropes gave her Pilar for which she might be grateful if she knew gratitude to anyone except to her lord. The tropes gave her Asmodia, and that is, in the end, a blessing, however bitterly delayed. For all the uncertainty surrounding both of their purposes, it is not entirely unsuggestive that the tropes are not as hostile to Lord Asmodeus as might be expected from a Dath Ilani romance novel, and that is an encouraging thing. What exactly did your curse say to you on this occasion? Nothing. I just found myself outside this door, believing that the person inside could use a piece of cake. I told my curse earlier in the evening, when it tried to tell me that Paxty needed cake, not to bother me about things that it thought would be beneficial to me, only what would be beneficial to Lord Asmodeus. So I thought, when I found myself here with the impulse to knock— that it would be the right course to knock. Aspexia takes the plate Pilar is holding and samples the cake. It's slightly stale, perhaps, but better than nothing. Was that beneficial to our lord? Plausibly, very slightly so. I cannot say from this that your curse has yet betrayed us. Do not get into the habit of trusting it, whether or not it has as yet betrayed us visibly. Acknowledged. Aspexia Rogaton also needs a hug. Not unless it's necessary to save all nine layers of hell itself from destruction. Pilar's curse knew that Pilar wouldn't do it. Pilar's curse just wanted Pilar to know. Dismissed, child, Aspexia says wearily, and not really noticing herself doing it, takes another bite of the slightly stale cake. Full timestamp, day six, seven, late night. I have an unusual request for you, Carissa tells Peranza. For the next two hours, I want you to try to think about things that people in Cheliax, not you specifically, necessarily, but it's allowed if it's you specifically, lie to themselves about. Things that Dath Elena Cheliax will have to handle differently, since Dath Elenism makes self-deception difficult. If you are confused about this instruction, I can give examples to start you off. Peranza, not looking there. 
E.R. Wayne. Something in the back of Peranza's mind is trying to scream in terror about this being a suicide mission that ends in execution for heresy and then a worse time in hell afterwards. Peranza squashes the heretical thought. Obviously, Asmodianism is not, cannot be, based on lies. Anyone who said that would already have fallen into heresy. This is about lies such as heretics believe, or, at any rate, those who are not perfect Asmodians. The part of her that's internally screaming manages to prevent her from asking for any examples, even though she doesn't understand at all. Probably the point of this exercise is to see what she ends up understanding. Right. Acknowledged, says Peranza. If Sevar has a detect thoughts up, or is on relay with security who do, she might be informed that Peranza's thoughts are not full of understanding. Carissa gets that on relay from security and wants to scream. When you are explaining things to small children, you might say, the sun is a big ball of fire, even though my understanding is that technically the sun is a different thing than the contents of the elemental plane of fire. Not the truth, just the closest example they have the capacity to grasp. Many of the things we believe are the version for mortals of truths that mortals can't fully understand. Does that make sense? Of course, Peranza says, feeling very relieved. She just needs to list out things that she knows she doesn't fully understand. There isn't even any terror in it. The part that was screaming is not that smart and can't read that far ahead in this game. Ione, who is a heretic and therefore wise in the ways of heretics, maybe, maybe she's just being stupid, we'll see, thinks that when we all start learning Dathalanism, we'll start questioning the version for mortals we're given, and we can't go to a priest for counsel because our worries are going to be ones outside the space of normal mortal errors, and then we'll end up in trouble. We are trying to get out in front of that, by finding all the possible errors we might run into, now instead of in front of Keltham. The screaming inner terror is back. But it's not an agonized mess of aborted thoughts because she has a clear, if wordless, path to follow. Just list out things she's unclear on, such that it's only light or at most moderate heresy to claim they could be unclear. Then wait to have whatever horrible thing happens afterwards happen, operating under conditions of screaming inner terror so long as you can see a way to apparently, sincerely to yourself, obey orders is a universal chelish life skill. Understood. Peranza says, more firmly this time. Well, they'll see how this goes. Carissa isn't trying to invent her own list. It feels much easier somehow to answer the question, how do I keep these girls loyal when they're having heretical thoughts, than to answer the question, what things do I believe that aren't actually true? Since then, you know she'd stop believing them, and if she stops believing them, then the project fails and everyone dies— so perhaps she'll invent Dath Ilanis without being one herself. Fine. Do you think I should go to hell? Jackme asks Asmodia, when the latter appears to not be doing anything. Why would you ask me that question? Everyone should go to hell and serve Lord Asmodeus. She needs the crown back. Is there really not any way for her to become the next Most High? Yes, but I mean now, as opposed to in a hundred years. She looks up before she can stop herself though she does keep any surprise off her face, at the mention of the hundred years. It's a round number you might pick at random, but... One hundred years specifically? 
Why did you pick that number? Because I might live that long. If I get to fourth circle and get age resistance, then why would you want to go to hell now instead? If you could continue to serve Lord Asmodeus in Galarion and still be received by him later. It's actually easier to say this sort of thing and sound terribly sincere, for some weird reason, now that she absolutely doesn't believe it at all. Right, of course. She looks confused, but that's not the kind of statement you're allowed to argue with. It might help if you explained why you were asking me that. She has a suspicion, but not a certainty and she would have formed the suspicion faster if her mind was not filled with thoughts of how slow and dead her mind feels now. Losing plus four to intelligence is 30% like dying. Losing plus four to intelligence, plus six to wisdom, and plus four to splendor, by extrapolation, is 105% like dying. Well, we were told to choose and told it was a real choice, though probably we'd want to stay, and we could ask you if we were considering hell. So I was wondering if it's, I mean, we're Project Lawful, right? We're different. Told by who, just to be sure. Asmodia is not actually stupid. She just feels incredibly stupid, and her thoughts are moving now. Savar. Does Savar not believe anymore that Asmodia was given a secret to keep by hell itself? What the abyss is Savar thinking? Asmodia should, perhaps, have just showed Savar Gorthoclex's message. Has she screwed up? Has she failed her unknown patron? And then Asmodia's thoughts move faster and calmer. She is not what she was, but she remembers. Asmodia did figure out she is not stupid now, let alone then. She did figure out that Aspexia Rugaton's question might be about how Asmodia sees a mortal worshipper. And then Asmodia didn't mention that part at all because she'd been clearly instructed not to think about the why and just solve the question itself. The tropes, if they are real, are not mostly blind like Asmodeus. The tropes can see precisely and navigate precise futures. Then Asmodea can perhaps reason that what is happening now was intended to happen. And if the tropes see not perfectly, but still far better than Asmodeus, Asmodia can reason about ideas like keeping to more predictable paths, and the tropes will know what she thought about it, if she thought a sufficiently predictable thing. But Asmodia would have to think more on this new form of the Most High's question before she dared anything like that, preferably think with more cunning and wisdom. Give me a quiet minute to think, Asmodia says. Maybe it's already too much of a giveaway, saying that. But Savar clearly considers the away already given, and Asmodia does not get to dispute that, for she has already lost that game. But suppose nonetheless that Asmodia has not failed her patrons yet, by events coming to this point. What then do her patrons desire of her? Asmodia cannot guess, and she has been given no instructions at all. Look inside herself. Act on impulse. Would that help her patrons? Would that help the tropes? Is she easier to steer if she acts on predictable impulses and lets herself be subject to frequent correction, rather than trying to hold fast to a course where she does as little as possible? Asmodia needs the crown back, and longer than fifteen minutes to think. She has not been given instructions. Perhaps that is because she can deduce the goal, and because her own thought can prove adequate to reach it. The meddling gods, 
who might be below real tropes or above fake tropes, or both at once, do seem to want Project Lawful to succeed, or keep going, at least for now. They could have let Nadal smash it, or a sword take Keltham, they did not. Then, all right, look, Savar should not actually have told you that, given what she believes, but what happened to me in hell did suggest that Project Lawful girls might get special treatment. Might. It might have just been something they did for me because I was the first Project Lawful girl they actually got to see. They grabbed me away from the standard bad, painful situation. My contract devil put me in. Stuff happened I'm not talking about. But at the end, I was put somewhere I'd end up in good shape when I got back, which I don't think is at all usual. I don't know if that works for you if you're not staying on the project. I would not advise dying just to test it. I'm not sure that Hell would be amused. Or her patron, for Aracura did say that the price that had been paid was very high. But if what you're looking for is a tiny shred of hope that Sever is right about anything, fine. Yeah, that happened. I wouldn't rely on it, so my advice is for you to stay on Galerion for those hundred years, if you can. If hell is even better for Project Lawful Girls than for everyone else, you can always go there later. Chelish people don't say thank you. Jackme nods silently and flees. Nefreti, Klepati, Lintamande. Nefreti Klepati does not prostrate herself before the pharaoh of Osirion. Nefreti Klepati casts a very powerful illusion of herself gracefully prostrating herself before the pharaoh and stands at the illusion's feet, smiling cheerfully at the pharaoh, who is a powerful enough cleric in his own right to see through it. But his guards aren't, and anyone who might carry away rumours is not, and it's not, actually, a fight the pharaoh of Osirian can afford to pick with Nefreti Klepati. He needs her more than she needs him, and they both know it. Rise, says the pharaoh of Osirian, and there are very few people on Golarion who would detect even the slightest trace of irritation in his voice. The illusion of Nefreti Klepati folds itself back into the real Nefreti Klepati. The answer is no, regrettably, she tells him. We are, haven't yet made the request. Don't do that to an old woman, boy. You know I can't keep that kind of thing straight. You need a scry done by someone powerful enough to overcome Aspexia Rugaton's caster level. There aren't too many people that powerful in the inner sea. Do you want the contents of the buried pyramid of the pharaohs of ascension? We have a lead on where it is, some spell diagramming notes dated to Nex, Aslanti Un Stones. Is that everything then, boy? We are both of us very busy. Iliax has a powerful magic user from another world, and they think whatever they're doing with him is incredibly valuable to hell. I know. Is this about worry about being constrained in receiving contacts from Nethys that's been a concern or us? But this plan was conceived of and made by my foreign affairs team without input from Abada, either in my person or otherwise, and we're not intervening. We're just looking in order to adjust our probabilities on war with Cheliax in the next ten years. Priestess you don't want to see Sotis fall. And the pay is very nearly anything that I have and that you want. Oh dear, we did do this conversation in the wrong order, didn't we? 
and it's my fault for trying to get to the end of it sooner. When we can't do that, you have to walk through all the parts. It makes sense that you, not being omniscient, are nervous. It seems like it would be very nerve-wracking to not be omniscient. Do you know what's going on? Is there a plan? Probably. Will you bet in Merendre's market? One of the downsides of omniscience is that it really ruins the appeal of gambling. You could just give me all your money, save us some time. If you want, if you go and place your bets now and tell me that they are genuinely your best bets, we'll pay out right now like they resolved in your favour. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe I'm trying to solve a flood with a fireball? Am I trying to solve a flood with a fireball? No, I think I'd actually characterise this specific error slightly differently. You're come trying to solve childbirth with a fireball. It's a delicate process. You can solve childbirth with a dimension door. When the baby's ready, not sooner. When the baby's ready, when whatever Nethys is planning has come to fruition, then will you help us? Uh, no. Nefreti, if there's anything at all you can tell me that would help me understand. Imagine a little bird flies into town and starts breathing fireballs and says, pay me to go away. What do you do? Kill it. But what if it only wants a little bit of gold to go away? You'll have to pay far more than that to get some adventurers to kill it. We kill it. Not in the mood for delivering electron law today, I take it. There is no one listening but you, Nefreti. Is the palace being spied on? Do you want to hear about the little bird or not? The pharaoh of Osirion is much less inclined to casually murdering people who annoy him than not just the queen of Cheliacs, but nearly any noble in Cheliacs. This doesn't speak particularly well of him. It's a very low bar. The pharaoh of Osirion finds himself to his alarm, contemplating the murder of the high priestess of Nethys in all of Golarion. Luckily, he reminds himself he couldn't do it if he wanted to. I would like to hear more about the bird, he says pleasantly. A little bird comes to town and starts sneezing fireballs everywhere. I have a terrible illness that causes fireball sneezing. It says, please help me. What do you do? Is it telling the truth? Yes. And the cheapest way to get the bird to go away is to cure its fireball sneezing. Indeed. I make the bird alone it can pay off by being a ship's wizard for a year or two. Sneeze fireballs at all the pirates. The bird isn't that patient. You can either pay it to get cured or you can kill it and until you do one or the other it's just going to sit there sneezing. If there's no threat involved, then the Department of Bird Handling solves it in the cheapest available way, which I suppose is curing the bird. But why didn't they do that with the first bird? Nefreti... You're not very good at answering questions. We don't give in to threats, because if we predictably give in to threats, everyone will threaten us. We occasionally spend money to solve problems that look like threats, if they're not threats, and we have some way to verify that they're not threats. If the bird genuinely isn't here to get money from us, just landed here randomly, and isn't staying because it thinks it can extort us, then maybe we pay it to go away, because that doesn't get the city swarmed by hundreds of copycat birds. And what if... this is a tricky one. The bird is sincere and not threatening you. But the reason it happens to be an Osirian rather than somewhere else is that Cheliax put it there, wanting the bird cured, 
and thinking we'd do it to make all our buildings stop being on fire. Kill the bird. Can't let people make threats at one remove either. Well, there you go. I explained the whole thing. Have a good day. And she leaves. That was fucking nerve-wracking. And who was she even talking to? Nefreti Klepati was distinctly not looking in the direction of Cade and Kalian's hidden presence when she turned around to look at that angle. Why isn't a Tolman's freaking out about her? Cade and Kalian doesn't know. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.